Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Digital Grocer Season 4, Episode 9. Uh, I can't believe uh, we've made it uh, this far uh, to date. I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. And joining me, as always, is uh, co-host, sidekick, Mark Fairhurst, VP of Marketing. Mark. Hello, hello. It's been a while. It's it's been a while, Mark. It's been. I had so, no beard. I had no beard. You you had you had hair and no beard, and it it migrated. It's just shifted south. And you replaced your um, fireplace in the back to a beautiful aquarium. Yeah, it, I'm anticipating the uh, the summer months. Hopefully soon. <laughs> I don't. It's it's weather here in um, Canada can be strange. Uh, especially if you're in Toronto or yeah. in the surrounding suburbs, right? Who knew, right? It's it's snowing <laughs> one day, the next day you're water skiing. I have just <laughs> no clue just, anymore. Just tell that to our friends in Texas. To, uh, yes, uh, that was just so terrible what they went through. And I mean, they're, you know, I and I, what we learned from that is their own power grid is actually not connected to the national system. It's been deregulated. And, and just reality is they're not equipped to handle the weather, right? Yeah. Now, my understanding is this is the second time they've had such an event occur. The first time would have been in 2003, I believe, uh, that it happened. Just, but just, uh, for, yeah, I, I didn't know they, they had a, a disconnected grid. Um, really really tragic what happened and i think it just not not to get political it just speaks to the um you know the unpredictability in terms of weather patterns going yeah. forward yeah. yeah it's well i mean we were experiencing it here i mean we we can ex we're starting to experience two seasons in in a week mm -hmm. uh in some yep. cases and even in the middle of winter which is uh and talks about global warming and so on right so there's a lot of things that are happening in grocery retail, uh, specifically this this coming week, um, or this past week, I should say. So first and foremost, when we all got the news, uh, Mark was slacking me at like five o'clock in the morning to let me know that longer. Because <laughs> I got nothing better to do. Because I got nothing better to do, and that's that's what we do all day. It's just we're slacking. Yeah. Um, that Longos was acquired by Sobeys. Yeah. <clears throat> that was big news, at least in the Canadian re uh, grocery retail market. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm curious to see how Sobeys is going to manage having a farm boy and a Longos, two two retailers that have traditionally, uh, well, I would say traditionally competed, but we're starting to compete in the greater Toronto area. And mm -hmm. how Michael, the CEO of Sobeys, is going to manage that because yeah, they're they're similar in the sense, but you know, private label. I find private label much stronger over at Farm Boy. The experience is different. I look at Longos all about entertaining. I'm a loyal Sobe shopper, so when I go to Sobe's, it's it's you know they get my complete share of wallet. So I'm kind of mm -hmm. curious to see how they're going to balance this out, specifically on real estate uh, and growth of the Longos brand. I was just you know I was also sorry, Mark, but I was astonished. Um, only 70,000 users for Grocery Gateway? Yeah, I thought it would be a lot more, Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, I thought the, it was. Um, for those who don't, so Sobeys is one of, in the Canadian market, um, there I say is very uh, oligopolistic. Mm -hmm. So we have maybe five large grocery chains and uh, it's very hard to be an independent 
uh, and and continue to invest and compete. Sobeys part has partnered with Ocado uh, to bring to market their you know, robotics uh, CFC, um, and they're, they've been doing really well. And I guess Longo's just figured, you know, it's it would be a long, hard road ahead to compete against uh, that kind of momentum. And you got to think, did did Sobeys have this in the back of their mind? three, four years ago when they had started to contemplate uh, what the next iteration of uh, grocery e-commerce would be. Mm. And um, e- even where they had situated their the um, the robotic center, and it's, it's close to where Longo's office is, it's, yeah. it's, if, it, if that was the case, it was a brilliant long game play for Sobeys. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it will be interesting to see what kind of developments are, are going to occur, but we wish the... The Longos team and their um, associates and the family, you know, best of luck. I think it's, uh, I yep. mean, it's it's great it's great to see a Canadian success, success continue in the hands of another Canadian organization. I think the you know I was talking to some independents uh, the day of of the announcement and and the day after, um, and they were shocked and shocked, but yeah, somewhat not surprised. And that's kind of challenging right now. I mean, if you look at, I don't know if Mark, if you saw the news that was put out there by NGA a few days ago, but you have, you know, small retailers, you know, asking the U.S. government to investigate large retailers. Um, So that fight between, you know, big retailers and smaller retailers, you know, as much as we like to say there's been this period of detente, uh, that's certainly not the case. Yeah, I I think coming out of the pandemic, uh, hopefully, knock on wood soon. Um, the fact that the big, the big fish have gotten bigger and are using their, uh, supply chain dominance to mm. get preferential pricing from, uh, suppliers is, is hurting independence. At least that's the, the contention of, uh, the NGA. Yeah. Well, there's also the, the fact that they can use their capital to do so much more. I mean, not just, right. not just on you know, pushing the CPGs around, but what, Innovation uh, is another one, uh, but also turning the ship at a Walmart. If you, on innovation, it's not easy for it to have a major impact. It's got to be fairly large, and the advantage yeah. a smaller retailer has, if they can get past the fear of innovation and the desire to innovate. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't turn off my cell phone, which is so rude of me to my poor our listeners. And so here's what I'm going to do: I'm going to lead by example and turning it off. Um, but the challenge becomes you, you, to move the needle. It's got to be so big. So like I was saying for the smaller retailers, if you can get, get past that fear of innovation and think yeah. iteratively and try, um, and you, you, someone have a bit of an advantage because any little thing can have such a major impact on business. We recently published some important numbers. So this is in partnership with Brick Meets Click, uh, David Bishop, who uh, we, we love working with. We published our f- uh, February numbers from our uh, national survey. Mark, top of your head, can you share some of those numbers? Yeah, it's um, the February numbers came in at about $8 billion, uh, down from the 9.3 in January. So in some respects, a significant drop, but not unexpected. And I think David's uh, projecting a little more settling coming uh, coming into March. Mm-hmm. What's what's clear though is that um, curbside is continuing to be the dominant uh, the dominant uh, fulfillment method for 
the vast majority of grocery shoppers. The downside, though, is that the customer experience still lags what uh, respondents are saying uh, the, the experience is like with delivery. So yeah. when you think one of the questions that you know, we asked David was, how, why is it that a shopper goes to a local regional uh, grocer as opposed to a large uh, mass merchant chain? And he says it's two things. It's their product assortment and their customer experience. If you can't deliver on your product promise, you're going to have a challenge. And right. it's just your, your shoppers are going to bleed to uh, those chains that can can deliver. Yeah, it's in- interesting. You know, what came out also of that report um, that we just started to circulate is that for the month of February, 95 million American mm-hmm. households bought groceries online. Yeah, that is number. This it's it's amazing, and that's and that's a, that's still I believe higher than January. And you yep. said something really interesting around uh, customer satisfaction. I mean, we are seeing, and I, I shared a report out uh, on the internet from the American Customer Satisfaction Index. It's a it's a report that's done annually, and it goes through multiple verticals in retail, uh, specifically in grocery. In, in, I think in, in the in this instance, satisfaction, depending on the type of retailer, dropped close to 30%. Yeah, yeah. It's very really? significant. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 it's, and it's definitely something that um, a lot of the traditional brick-and-mortar chains really have to take a look at and, and because it's, it, it is a, um, a leading indicator for a customer lifetime value. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it's interesting you say that. And everything you're going to say is going to be interesting. So, the uh, <laughs> not everything, not everything, not everything. Not everything. <laughs> but what I I have found more often than not that a lot of retailers are just doing these mini pulse surveys throughout the year, and what they're not, and so it's they're using satisfaction. Um, I don't want to call it a lagging indicator, but it's it's too late when you've measured it throughout the year. What they're not doing is making sure that when the digital receipt is sent out um, post submission of the order, they're not including a link to to capture a quick survey. When the order is delivered or when the order is picked up, they're not including a follow up survey. And I know we can get s- survey fatigue, but you know we're not talking about fifty questions here. We're talking about you know, three questions, a loyalty question, a satisfaction question, and would you return, right? So those are the three main drivers of, of true loyalty in, in specifically in, in retail or in research. You can ask those questions repeatedly. And I think the, the beauty is you can develop this customer rescue program um, where you can deal, and as Mark was just saying, it being a leading indicator, if you're starting to see a dip, you have an operational issue that you need, you need to, to deal with. Don't wait when it's too late to find out because, you know, retailers don't, don't yet know, like in the SaaS industry, you need to, you need to take customer churn extremely seriously. And that's not necessarily happening in, in the grocery e-commerce space. Other news, Kroger is temporarily closing stores in California. I don't know if you saw that, Mark. Uh, I saw the headline. I didn't dig into the story. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in. It's is a, it temporary? Um, I don't know. It seems to be in response to the, the wa- uh, minimum wage increase. 
And I think it's to force the hand uh, of the government. But the reality, the certain depends where in California, but in certain locations, other retailers are going to reap the rewards. I don't know if Kroger is doing this put, just to put pressure, but at the same time, customers will go to the next available yep. an Albertsons, a Safeway, a Walmart, a Smart and yep. Final, a grocery outlet. I mean, they have choice mm-hmm. in a lot of those markets. So stay tuned on that. The other thing that we're seeing that's quite interesting out there uh, in the press, we're seeing Instacart really bolster their executive ranks as well as their board of directors. I mean, the big addition to their board is the CEO, Snowflake. Uh, Snowflake is a large um, virtual database provider online, I believe. They are a vendor to Instacart uh, in any case, from my understanding, from reading some of the press that's out there. Um, I'm often perplexed and I wonder, and I know our phone has been ringing off the hook with regional retailers that are kind of at a point saying, I need to own my own curbside experience. You know, I'm locked into an exclusive agreement. It's coming to term. I want to get out of this. I need to do something different. And in the question I'm asked a lot from these retailers is, you know, has Instacart become too big and to uh, for a Walmart and an mm-hmm. Amazon to catch up to? And where does that leave me as a tier one, tier two, and even tier three retailer caught up in this brouhaha? And it's an interesting, it's an interesting subject. And so we figured, so Mark and I kind of figured the best way to kind of tackle this is we bring back uh, an old guest uh, and a good friend to Mercatus. He doesn't look old. He doesn't look, no, he doesn't look old. Looks like he looks like a rock star. He does. He does look like a rock star. <laughs> and uh, that's Rick Watson, the CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, guys. Great to be back. Um, you know, we, we do look like an old rock band now. <clears throat> I think the three of us together. Well, two of us look like we're from the Grateful Dead, and you look like you're from <laughs> maybe Motley Crue. I'll be honest with you. A CEO of a major retailer about a month ago said I look like it was in a boy band. What? It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't uh, confidence inspiring in a sales pitch. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh my God. That's amazing. Wow. So Rick, want to get your thoughts, you know, when, when you, you know, much like the rest of us, you're reading the headlines of what's happening with Instacart, right? So market growth during the pandemic, the bench strength that they're creating internally at the executive level, at the board level, capital that they're raising. I mean, are they are they too big to catch up even for a Walmart or an Amazon? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think Walmart, no. I'm starting to wonder about Amazon to be honest, just mm. because of their density and the number of stores. Walmart has, it, they're such a monster. They're so good at logistics. If they just focus, I think they have a shot. I think Amazon, um, I'm a little, I'm a little worried about them. I, Whole Foods isn't enough by itself. Let's, let's, let's mm-hmm. start. To me, that's where you start the conversation. 500 stores in the U.S. is not enough. Um, not enough availability, not enough uh, so not enough selection, even within a single Whole Foods store, the mm-hmm. selection isn't that great. 
Um, and so that means they either need to acquire someone else, which I don't think they'll do, or they'll continue with their fresh strategy. And so I think online, I'm not, I'm not seeing someone who's catching them at the moment because Walmart is still experimenting with, you know, micro fulfillment or hyper whatever you want to call it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a little bit different approach than Kroger uh, to that, who's partnered with Ocado. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's a legitimate topic to, to understand if, if you really unpack what Instacart is, particularly online, I think that they definitely may be too big to catch. And so what does that leave? So the small regional chain that has literally put all their eggs in the same basket, where does that leave them? And are they, are they beholden so much to Instacart? If Instacart switches strategy and does something, where does that put that retailer? Um, well, it doesn't put them in a great place, but I think the alternatives are worse almost. Mm. You know, if you are a retailer, you know, it's almost like, let's look at the U.S. e-commerce market. What percentage of retailers can shut off Amazon? Like Mm. three, you know, Nike, and you can't name like four others. You can't. It's not possible. Uh, And so, you know, Walmart, maybe Kroger can shut off Instacart. Everyone else I'm not sure you want to shut off Instacart. Um, I mean, I think for the optimized retailer that really understands their customer that has great product, if you can long-term get Instacart to 30% of your online volume, that's like the, to me, that's your target. Mm-hmm. Any more than that, you're too beholden. Any less than that, you're, I think you're missing opportunity. Right. Um, so great, Mark. So, so you're at, you're suggesting is you know, have a best of both worlds type strategy when it comes to uh, the Instacart marketplace. I I think so, because I think most other uh, online digital marketing channels is have, have played out that way. And you can have your own website and be on a marketplace and, you know, have have different approaches one of them by themselves i think is insufficient you're not going to reach the whole market you're not going to be introduced i mean most people were like oh i shouldn't be on amazon it's going to cannibalize me like well the reality is there are a lot of people that aren't shopping on your website and there are a lot of people that aren't haven't walked into your store and you can expand your reach and, and attract a lot of new shoppers uh, and you're going to pick up some of those but if you don't have your own strategy then mm-hmm. yeah, th- these are Instacart customers. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest; these aren't your customers. Uh, if you don't have a uh, an, an a, a second prong to your strategy, right? Put it that way. Yeah, and it's kind of like one one of our retailers um, does does this quite well. Uh, Smart and Final out in Commerce, California, where what they've done is they've created their own ecosystem, so their own website, B two C, B two B, and then they've gone further out and leveraged the marketplaces so shipped and instacart and and both i wouldn't say they cater to the same customer but the the reality is what they're also doing and this is i find this really smart is the product that they're seeding on those marketplaces is also a little bit different than what they're selling online in their own website 
So they're getting people hooked. There's the convenience and they're using it to drive more traffic to their own .com as well. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think, it, it, again, kind of, I think the analogy actually plays out pretty well with the rest of online retailer. And if you, you know, if you look at Wayfair, how, like, how does Wayfair compete with Amazon mm-hmm. uh, when they have all the same suppliers? Well, one of the big ways is that they, you know, it's become like the mattress industry. You know, you can't, right. you can't price compare anything. All the brands are different. If you, if you search and hunt any savvy consumer can figure out like this product on overstock.com is the same as Amazon is the same as uh, Wayfair, but they also have quite a number of their own unique brands, um, you know, that they, they buy or, or drop ship. So I think the notion of unique differentiated selection is it's a must, right? You know, your, your own private label, you don't, you know, to give up, for instance, all your private label to Instacart, uh, is it's not good. Probably not the best move. No, <laughs> it's not. No, it's absolutely not. So, no, and the business the business model, you know, is counterintuitive because if there's a markup on the private label of 10, 10 12, 15 percent, I mean, it defeats the purpose of private label, quite frankly. Right. Right. Yeah. No, so no, it's interesting. I mean, you're watching, I mean, you're reading the trades like the rest of us and you're working with a lot of executive, you know, in the retail space. And what's your, what's your crystal ball telling you what's going to happen, you know, around innovation and and technology? Um, Look, I I think Instacart is on the path to becoming the fourth largest ad network, at least in North America. Yeah. uh, Which is a pretty massive business. Um, Amazon, obviously it's, it's going to be hard for them to beat Amazon and Facebook and Google. So mm-hmm. I think number four is a reasonable target. And I think because it's a little bit more niche, um, it's, uh, I think it's a realistic target for them. I think, um, so I, I think their ad network innovation will be uh, pretty tremendous. I think their, um, Instacart's innovation around their machine learning models, what, what, what things are in stock versus out of stock, how, how things are replacement. I mean, the two biggest complaints I hear from, I would say the Instacart naysayers, like, oh, this is, this is a flash in the pan. It's gonna go back mm-hmm. to normal. No one's gonna wanna do it. It's number one is the price is too high. And second is the replacement situation. So like, I can't get what I ordered. And I think, um, I think the ad dollars are gonna solve problem number one. And I think, Machine learning is going to solve problem number two. So right. I think those people, if you wait three years, they're they're dead uh, because they're not investing enough. They're not investing enough and faster than Instacart. Uh, well, they're not raising capital to do it. Yeah, quite I mean, frankly, you, yeah. Raise, I mean, you raise an interesting notion, and it's um, you know Instacart has said you know we're not a grocery retailer. Uh, you know we've always said well not yet. But now they're branching into other verticals. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the way I, I've described it is you know, they're more a media company than uh, mm. than, a, uh, than a retailer. Uh, and that's where I think their focus is. It's, it's, it's the eyeballs, the consumer eyeballs that they need, and that's how they monetize their growth going forward. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, any internet scale industry that becomes 
kind of a, a verb, let's say, <laughs> you know, almost it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all the internet markets are almost all winner takes, winner takes most. And usually there's a number one that has figured out what the number one thing consumers want and they've optimized for that. For Amazon, it's been convenience. Uh, Instacart is actually making the same bet that consumers are gonna care number one about convenience, not about price or anything else um, or loyalty to a brand or anything. And I think it's so hard for people to switch apps. Uh, Just the cognitive load of having five grocery apps on your phone. Yes, there are people that do that, but it's extremely rare. They've been, I know there have been studies all over that, that support that. Um, and I agree, I 100% agree with you that they're, they're a media company. If you look at their executive team, 100% of their executives are almost ad network executives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's how they solve the price problem. And I think retailers ignore Instacart, frankly, at their own peril because the brands want to pour, like, where is the brand going to spend their money? They're, are they going to spend money on the end cap at a supermarket no one's no. walking into anymore? No. Or are they going to spend it online? And where can you concentrate most of your dollars? If Instacart is winning, I don't know, I haven't seen a number since last June, which is a little bit dangerous, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons. But, you know, that number showed online grocery, Instacart had already crossed 50%. Even if they come down to 30%, that's a massive business, particularly if 10 years from now, online grocery is half the market. Right. Let's say. Right. Well, and that's the challenge at the end of the day. If you're a CPG, you can get distribution quite quickly with your ad dollars. Problem is where do you go and get a vehicle that creates conversion for you? And and end caps are never a guarantee because I think we all know the challenge. Now I've talked to a lot of CPGs they spend so much money just making sure that their end caps get installed and the product actually makes it to the end cap. And at the end of the day, it's so frictionless to go with an ad network that get guarantees you conversion. It just, it just makes good sense. Right. You know, and, and, and then suddenly that's a challenge for a retailer that survives on trade dollars. And there's tons of retailers today. If you were to take away the trade dollars, they wouldn't be in business. Right. Right. Yeah, and it look, it's you know, it, it's a it's so it's an interesting point you raise. And so the question is like in the in the U.S. U.S. even before the pandemic, many years before the pandemic, it's been known to have been overstored. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in the department store space, the middle is being squeezed out. Will that happen in grocery if as digital keeps eating share? Um, will it be a few big guys? You know, maybe a, a couple of re- regional players in each space, like an HEB in Texas or something like that, and then Instacart. Yeah, uh, I'm going to say yes, and here's why I'm going to say yes. I don't think, I don't, I think there are still retailers reeling from the 08 decline in the economy. It's 12 years ago that are hanging by a thread, and so you take this. I don't want to call it an artificial moment in time, but this moment in time mm-hmm. where your sales are through the roof, but your, your expenditures are, you know, are the same. So, you know, P- investments in PPE investments in cleaning, uh, stocking the shelf. And then you have this, this moment where dollars on, on the CPG side are going to the digital side and the growth of 
you know, grocery e-commerce. If we hit a recession in the next, no, mind you, we haven't had a recession since 08. If we hit a decline in the economy that lasts for more than six months in the coming future, you will see some regional retailers disappear or have to be acquired. Yeah. Because, you know, if the dollars are leaving and you can't fall back on your trade and co-op or you can't fall back on something and you don't have a strong private label brand, you know, because people trade down in the brands they buy or they trade out, they go to a discount retailer. If they don't go to a discount retailer, they have to go to a food bank. And so if we have another event like this and on tail end of this situation, I don't, I don't think you'll see, um, the same number of retailers out there in the market. I just don't. Mm. So I would agree. Yeah. Man, this conversation got somber <laughs> really, really <laughs> right? quick. What happened? <laughs> oh, sorry. We, wow. we, just, we just dealt with one economic downturn. Now he's anticipating the next. We, we, just, we just destroyed <laughs> half the industry in, in a few minutes. Wow. It's, uh, it's like a really bad game of risk. <laughs> so so on, on that, is, is there something uplifting we can talk about as far as uh, grocery, e-commerce in general and grocery e-commerce in, in particular? Here's the here's the beauty about this. I think, notwithstanding Instacart's success, I think you have a lot of retailers that are realizing that this is a real this is the real deal. Mm-hmm. That yeah. on their doorsteps is the opportunity to do something. What that is, I think they're starting to figure this out, and that's why they should call Rick because Rick can help them understand. <laughs> well, this and the strategy behind how you leverage these marketplaces to your benefit and you know create your own ecosystem. Um, that's great. Also, we're seeing, in, in, you know, uh, retailers starting to invest in, in proper operational procedures and processes and technology, just, just to push out costs. I, yeah, I, I would agree. I, not, and not to, um, steal any thunder from Rick, but I see this as a, uh, as a wake up call to a lot of, uh, retailers who for the longest time had their head in the sand. Uh, or didn't see the significance of the shift to online, yeah. um, particularly in grocery, because it's, it's the laggard vertical. Um, and, I, and I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that uh, yeah. they're going to reclaim the strategy from some of the, the larger players in the market. And and by the way, contact Rick. Yeah. So, so, so thank you, first of all. Um, and... I think the one of the most interesting trends to watch, I think, we're, so we're, we're spending a lot of time talking about the retailers. What we're mm. not spend doing is spending a lot of time mm. talking about the brands. brands. Mm. And so I think it's such an interesting scenario to play out. Like if, and look, grocery is already like a super innovative category. Um, there it has been an explosion of brands, not only in grocery, but in pharmacy, um, in CPG. And... I think the biggest threat to these regional grocers will, may not come from Instacart directly. Mm. It may come from the brands who are like, why do I want to go sell wholesales to these dying supermarkets? Like Instacart, please house my inventory. And I just want to be in all your major markets. Like they, people will be if we get a, a direct to consumer revolution in grocery, like similar to what we saw in like apparel and clothing and all these DTC online categories, 
which I think very well you could, especially if you make these easy. Like, just look at it. There's like 3 million Amazon sellers. What percentage of them are only on Amazon? Like a decent percentage mm -hmm. are not, are not multi-channel. So I think they, Instacart could fuel a wave of online only brands that you can't, you can't find in a store. I think that means Instacart would have to solve a lot of logistics challenges, but it wouldn't be because Instacart is like trying to destroy the grocery market. It'd be because the brands see it as like this boon for them. Yeah, that's that's, and I think if you you marry what you just said there with what the Financial Times has reported, um, Instacart's investment in um, robotic distribution centers, uh, it's I, you paint a very uh, interesting picture. Well, this also goes back to, we just uh, attended uh, this spring meetup of grocery shop, you know, which was all, which, which was all virtual, which is kind of interesting. And out of all the CPGs that were attending, all of them were looking for commerce platforms, all of them. Mm. And we're also seeing a big surge in B2B commerce coming from the retail side. Right, so retailers trying to position themselves to go after the B two B side of the uh, of the house. I think you're right, Rick. Um, parting comments for our our audience. Uh, any uh, key words of wisdom and advice? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I think I think your your notion of wake up call is a good one hmm. because I think. We're, we're at an inflection point in the market where we've just made a huge jump from, let's say, 2% online penetration of grocery to 10, you know, 8 to 10, something like that in, in, in the U.S., North America. So the question is, what are you going to do about that, really, it is, is the, kind of the question I would leave most readers with or most uh, watchers with. And if, if you keep things on autopilot, you're not, you, you have to invest ahead of the market. If you're going to get outsized returns from the growth that's ahead of you, because the big players are investing tens of billions of dollars. And so if you think you can invest another 2% in CapEx next year and capture the opportunity, I think you're, you're wrong. And so I think quite a number of these, um, I, I think the investment levels need to go up. The pace of innovation needs to go up. Um, it's not going to be about just the platform. It's going to be about culture. It's going to be about you know, how you innovate faster um, as an organization. Absolutely. And listen, great to have you on the show as always. <laughs> so how do people get a hold of you? Yeah. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, check out my website, rmwcommerce.com or uh Look for me on LinkedIn. Uh, just type in Rick Watson and e-commerce and you'll, you'll find me there. Awesome. It's been great having you on the show. And thank you. Mark, another show, sure. another show in the can. Yeah, uh, it was a great one. Uh, great guests, great topics. We've got, uh, we've got some other shows coming up that I think people are going to be really interested in. Oh, so, I, uh, I know they're going to be interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Folks, thank you so much, and uh, don't forget to keep your ear to the ground And when you hear our next episode of Digital Grocer drop, and peace out. <laughs>